keep looking at packets. That's never done that before. Yeah, I do all that. It annoys Drew. <laughs> anyway, sorry for the delay, listeners, because there's me. I set out to do this new plan where I would release a show every two weeks, and it's only the second week, and I missed one already. So sorry about that, because I spent last Friday down at Reasons to be Creative, the conference in London. And uh, me and my ape mask, we both went down there. Because John Davy, who's been, he's been on the show a couple of times, he persuaded me to walk on stage wearing my bloody General Ursus mask. <laughs> Planet of the Apes. Yeah, I think, I think I saw a picture of that while I was away. Much against my better judgment. <laughs> and, uh, and Rachel, you've been away because you've been in Canada in the US, I think. That's right, yes, in the snow. In the frozen wasteland that is now America. Yeah, it's crazy. It's, it's so, so cold. It's like some kind of post-apocalyptic Michael Bay movie. <laughs> well, the thing is, my parents have lived out there for years. And so, you know, every so often they get one of these really bad winters and they tell us about trudging through the snow and piles of snow that cover cars and all that sort of stuff. And you're like, yeah, OK. And then you see it. And it's not even just the snow. It's the kind of enormous mountains of grey, frozen sort of slushy stuff that just heaped up everywhere. It's, it's, it really is amazing to see. I, I, I always think of parts of America of always being warm. I mean, you know, Arizona, obviously, you never get a lot mm. of snow there. Right. But, you know, you think about Atlanta or you know, places down south and you think it's going to be warm. But it's bloody freezing. Yeah. And I think, I think places this year as well, places that don't normally get the snow and don't get the tough weather have got it as well. So I think it's been quite a surprise to, to people. Yeah, I lived in North Carolina before moving over to Amsterdam and they've gotten several snows this year and anytime there's even just the threat of snow or like a centimeter of snow they have no school school is called off and so uh they i don't know how how uh, far into the summer they're gonna have to go to make up all of these snow days that they've had this winter well we're here now and we've got company because we're joined by the one and only zoe gillenwater hello we haven't had on the show before yeah i know and i don't know whether, whether i've ever told you this but I still have your flexible web design book. You have the actual book. I have the actual book, which is brilliant. Oh, um, wow. Thank and, you. And it predates responsive web design by what, about three years? Uh, two, yeah. Two. How pissed off are you? Really? <laughs> oh, not pissed off. It's good that it's, uh, you know, finally been widely accepted, this idea of making flexible websites. So <laughs> I just didn't have such a good name for it, so... That's fine. <laughs> well, if listeners haven't picked it up, Flexible Web Design, it's a great book. I mean, there's, there's still a load of good stuff in it. Thank even, you. Now, even after the whole kind of responsive uh, shenanigans. Oh, thank you. Thank you. So, uh, but anyway, I know most people are going to expect that if I've got the two of you on the show, Rachel Andrews so and Gillenwater, that we're going to talk about CSS layout, but I don't think we are. Well, we might do in passing. That's probably good. I can be very, very boring about these things. <laughs> but uh, that's the thing with this show. You just never know. But I should explain, I suppose, for the three people out there that don't know who you two are. Rachel, you run Edge of My Seat, mm -hmm. and you make that fabulous perch and perch runway CMS that I keep banging on about. And that's right. That's mainly what, what we do. I had a client come to see us completely at random, somebody else that's in our building in the business park. Mm -hmm. um, and he's from some, I don't know, some kind of NGO or, or some kind of uh, organization. And... He was talking about needing some changes to his site. And I mentioned that the fact that, you know, we might have a, a little CMS that we might want to use with it. And he went, is it Perch? <laughs> and I was, I thought, right, that's okay. Now we're getting somewhere. Now normal people understand what, these th what this thing is. 
Yeah, we've had quite a few things where people have come to us, designers have come to us and said that a client has asked them to use Perch, which is interesting. Um, and may, maybe shouldn't be such a surprise. We've been around for a long time now, but it, you know, that's, that's pretty cool when actually sort of end clients are saying we want to use this because I don't know, maybe they've used it in another job or something. Yeah. No, I thought that was brilliant. So we haven't got the gig yet, but you know, when we do, we'll be using Perch. Cool. And you write about CSS grids and mm-hmm. VAT quite a lot in your spare time. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I kind of write about, I write and speak about really, really strange sort of wide variety of things because I do such a strange wide variety of things day to day. Um, so I tend to sort of think, oh, that's interesting or that's useful. And, and so I write about it or, or speak about it somewhere. You've become the queen of VAT. I know, that girl. Is that the most rubbish <laughs> superhero ever? Oh, <laughs> uh, God. And Zoe, you're now, what are you, a UX designer at yes. booking.com, which is. Apart from Airbnb, it's my favourite booking site. Yep, that is what I'm doing now. And you're the queen of Flexbox. I think that's how Jeremy Keith described you. <laughs> that's that's not too bad a title. I guess it is kind of a also not a great uh, superpower, but I'll take it. It's probably a better superpower than VAT. <laughs> There's, um, is it Elastic Girl that's in the Fantastic Four that's all kind of stretchy? Uh, I, I don't no know. Idea. In The Incredibles, there's Elastigirl, right? Uh, maybe that's, that's what the... I'm thinking of then. Yeah, that's pretty good. Maybe I'm getting mixed up. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not big on superheroes. <laughs> so did you see on TV, I think it was a week or so ago, about a, there was a Kenyan marathon runner. And there's no way that I'm going to pronounce her name correctly. It was uh, Haivon Nijic or something. That sounds, that sounds more Russian than Kenyan, doesn't it? <laughs> God, I'm rubbish at names. Anyway, she crawled the last 50 metres of a marathon race in Austin, Texas. Did you see this? No, I, I didn't, didn't see it, it, but I can kind of understand that. <laughs> it was amazing. She was in the lead in this marathon in Austin, and she got to within 50 metres of the end of the race and fell over. Literally, her legs just stopped. <sighs> and the person that was second went on to win. Um, and she literally crawled the last 50 metres of this race and refused any kind of assistance because if they gave her some help, she'd be disqualified. Yeah. yeah. And she literally dragged her sorry ass across the finish line and came in second. It was amazing. <laughs> wow. Because, you know, I bring this up because, you know, you've, you've run a marathon. I have, yes. I'm training for another one. I'm doing Brighton in a few weeks' time. Oh, Wow. If, uh, if like my feet don't fall off or anything, I, I've got a bit of a stress fracture, I think, in my foot. So I had a, a sort of week off running while I was away because uh, otherwise it was just treadmills anyway because I'm not allowed to run on the snow. Um, no, you're not allowed to run on the snow. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, so my, my, if, as long as my foot holds up, I'm, I'm going to do Brighton. I like this. I remember a tweet from Drew or something, which was an overheard one day oh, a while back. And it was like, I don't just fall over. <laughs> <laughs> But this marathon runner was amazing. And uh, it just kind of got me thinking because, you know, I think it's been a bit of a bit of a tough, certainly a tough year. The last few months have been incredibly tough from a you know, business point of view. And mm. I don't know, just a kind of a just a general kind of industry feeling point of view. So I was sort of inspired by her determination and motivation. And I just thought that it would be something that we could talk about, really, in terms of just keeping going. You know, when you're just bloody knackered and... You just got to keep going. And, yeah. you know, there's not a lot of glamour to it. You just got to, you know, you just got to dig in and, 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 and go for it. So that's what mm. I thought I'd, I want to start talking about today. Cool. Okay. You know, I'm making it sound as if I know something about running a marathon, but, you know, I don't. It hurts. It takes a long time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. I don't know. I think sort of keeping at stuff and we're just kind of showing up. That's just what I do. Um, I've never been really all that good at anything. I don't think. I think my main sort of talent is that I work really hard at whatever it is that I've decided that I'm interested in. Uh, and that can be all kinds of things. I just work at until I can do it. Um, you know, I've never, all through my background, you know, even as a dancer or anything, I, you know, I've never been the most talented person at anything. I just work hard. So if I want to know something, I just think, oh, well, I'd better knuckle down and get on with it. Um, I think I that's th- incredibly important. And I think, yeah, I think it's this, it's this kind of showing up and working hard. And I, I see a lot of people who want a quick fix and they want, you know, they kind of want success without that hard work and dedication and just being there. And the fact that it might take years, um, you know, they, they don't want to go through that to get the success. I think it's one of the most important things that we hopefully instilled in Alex is that work ethic. And he, I mean, he does. He works incredibly hard. Mm. He always has. Um, oh, dear. Funny, Alex. He's just come back from Costa Rica. He's gonna, he probably won't be listening. He's probably got like a month's worth of podcasts to catch up on. He's going to be bloody horrified when he hears this. So you don't know, I don't think. My son's a geologist. No, I didn't know that. Yeah, he's, uh, he's doing a PhD at the moment and he's studying this very strange rock formation it occurs they're called melanges and they occur at different places around the world there's like i don't know half a dozen of them and one very important one is in costa rica so he's been there for the last few weeks he's just come back um and he had the most amazing time which involved apparently he was telling us last night um hiking for three hours every day to get to the place that he was studying because there's no roads (laughs) wow um and literally he was walking down a path on one of the days and he could go no further because there was the biggest golden orb spider in the middle of the path that had mm. built a web between some trees. <laughs> the guy's like in the rainforest. It's amazing. Mm. And it's like, mm, I'm not going to go around this spider. <laughs> I'm not going to go past this spider. I'm going to have to go around it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then the other thing was, which he, oh man, he was freaking us out. He was saying that he had to wade across several rivers to get to where he was going and these rivers are tidal so they were quite deep he had to literally strip down to his underpants and wade across these rivers chest high with all of his stuff above his head Mm. and then he said it's okay though because the crocodiles are in a different part of the river (laughs) (laughs) not the thing that a parent wants to hear really no 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 it's best not to know really (laughs) but talk about you know grim determination I'm, you know, really proud, really proud. Hmm. Yeah, I can understand. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that that, that was as, as a parent, you know, that was the one thing I wanted to pass on to my daughter was that is was that ability to work hard towards the things you want. Um, I think that's the most important thing because I think we all know people who are very talented but also very lazy, and they kind of do quite well because they're sometimes in the right place at the right time and things happen. But there's not a consistency to that. Yeah. Um, and you know, I think it's more important to be able to work at stuff and. Yeah, that that's kind of played out for me. Yeah, and I think a lot of that is um I feel like the people who are good at are good at that, you know, really just working hard and not worrying about if it's going to take years to get to their goal are the people who aren't worrying about the years. They're just focusing on right now and what they need to do right mm-hmm. now. And uh like one of the thing like I don't run marathons, but um <laughs> one of the things that I uh have often said to like my husband when I'm doing something hard is uh like if if I am running on a treadmill is like well I can do anything for five minutes right it doesn't matter how hard it is I can convince myself that I only have to do it for five minutes and then I after five minutes I can say well 
I could do five more minutes, right? Because I can do anything for five minutes. So <laughs> if I'm only worrying about that little piece, I'm able to, you know, push farther and farther ahead. I mean, that's something that has worked for me. Um, but yeah, I'm not running marathons or hiking through Costa Rica or anything that uh, <laughs> that demanding. Yeah, I think things like, I mean, you know, stuff like, I, think, I don't know, do you guys know about the Pomodoro technique? You know, there's sort of the, the timer that you set and, and you do things in sort of 25-minute bursts or an hour bursts or whatever. Yeah. Um, and I think that kind of, you know, sort of what you were saying about, well, I can I can do this for X amount of time. It's okay. It's okay to sit here and do this thing I don't want to do for 25 minutes. Right. Um, and you, that does help you to sort of move forward, even if, you know, it's just all looking really tough or really boring or whatever it is. Yeah. It is hard, though. I mean, we've had a... We, we had a project cancel, uh, literally with a couple of weeks to go, uh, which left an enormous hole in our budget, which I wasn't very pleased about. Um, and yeah, that was the start of the year. So mm. you've got to concentrate extra hard on actually really fulfilling the projects that we did have on the books, because, you know, that money is that money is vital. You, yeah. know, that, you, you need to make sure that people are you know extra happy because there can't be any any opportunity for delay in payment or or whatever mm -hmm. um but at the same time you know i'm having to do things like go out there and look for extra business mm -hmm. um and actually you know it can become incredibly tiring occasionally i just think to myself do you know what i realize it's just, just take a job mm -hmm. you know, it has to be easier but i know that it isn't i know that you know we might talk about this later on but um there are different kind of stresses and strains no matter whatever you're doing. But sometimes, you know, I just think you've just got to keep going because, you know, something will come up. And, you know, amazingly, today it did. We landed two big projects for when we come back from Australia, um, you know, and all of a sudden the, the pressure's off. But you kind of got to work through it, I suppose. You've got to get that second wind. Hmm. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think that's it, – it can look really sort of dark at times. You think, oh, you know – where's this going to go and am I doing the right thing? And, and we have those conversations because, you know, Drew and I could probably earn an awful lot more than we do um, if, you know, if we took jobs. You know, we're both, we're both sort of senior level people. We've both got huge amounts of experience. Um, but we don't really want to do that, you know. No. <laughs> and and uh, it, it, for sorts of reasons, you know, I mean, the fact I've been self-employed since 2001, um, I'm sure I'd be an absolute nightmare in anyone else's business. But, um, you know, it, it, there's more to sort of being self-employed, I think, certainly for me, than just how much money can I earn. Um, so, yeah, I guess that's what drives us on a lot of the time is, is that this, this is good, you know, in, in other ways, even if it's not as financially good as, as maybe being employed would be. I think being self-employed or freelance for a long period of time just automatically makes you unemployable. I'm yes, convinced that. of that. <laughs> yeah, I, th I think that's probably... I could probably contract for people for a while before I drove them mad. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I think it's, it is... Um, you get so used to just doing your own thing and being able to make decisions and call the shots. It's very difficult. How do you just keep going, though? I mean, keep doing what you're doing? Um... I guess there is that bigger picture thing. And there's a fact that actually I really enjoy this stuff. I like the things that I do, even the VAT, you know, even, you know, even the mechanics of running a business I enjoy and sort of finding out how to do that and working out how to do that better and helping other people with it as well. You know, I, I kind of enjoy that. Um, so I think that's a lot of it is just that when it seems really tough, I'm like, well, actually, I'm doing things I enjoy, even if we're not having a great month or we're not having a good couple of months. Um, you know, we're, it's it's interesting work. Could be worse, couldn't it? Really, could work down a pit. 
Well, yes. <laughs> there's, there's so many ways it could be worse. And, and also, I think for anyone in our industry, no matter how bad it's looking with our own business or whatever, we're probably going to be able to go out there and get work if we really need it. You know, we're not likely to end up starving. No. And, you know, the nice thing about what happened today was that both of these projects that have landed and, you know, they're, they're sizable projects, they're all from people that we know. Mm. You know, they're literally from people that we've done business with before or people that we know in the industry. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, that's really nice, actually. That's kind of, you know, reaffirming that actually, you know, we've been doing the right thing all these years. Mm -hmm. But I know people talk a lot about, you know, inspiration. Um, you know, people use it like caffeine. I think I've said that before, where, you know, you think <laughs> that you can't get on and do your job unless, you know, you've got inspiration. You know, it's like having that first cup of coffee in the morning. But, you know, sometimes you just got to dig deep. You know, you just got to literally mm. get up every morning, do the job. Um, and it's hard, but there isn't any other way. Yeah. I mean, that's it's so much of what you have to do with a business is, or, you know, or anything or any project even is uninspiring. It's boring. There's boring work to be done all the time. Uh, you can't be saying, oh, you know, I can only do this if I'm inspired to do it. I'd not do half the things I do if I had to wait for inspiration. You know, no one gets inspired about their accounts or ringing the bank or, you know, whatever it is. Uh, you just have to do it. Or chasing visas, which is what I've been doing this week. Oh, yeah, <laughs> booking flights. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I think that it I think it takes motivation and guts to to keep going. Um, and particularly when you've been self-employed you know, for a while, I wonder whether or not sometimes you just think, oh man, I'm just going to throw in the towel. You know, I'm just going to, you know, I might as well go and take a job. You know, I've watched quite a lot of people um, become self-employed over the last 10 years or so. And you know, a lot of them do very well, but I've seen a lot of people go the other way as well. And they stop doing what they're doing. They stop being freelance and they either get acquired, which I always smile when you see businesses being acquired. It's like the guys at Tiana Lacks were acquired by, was it Facebook? It's like, no, you're going to take a job. You're just going to take a job. That's what you're doing. You're going to work at Facebook. But, you know, that's great for me. You did that, Zoe. Yeah. You went yeah. to work at Booking. Mm-hmm. I mean, you didn't just move jobs. You moved you and the whole family halfway around the world. It must have been a damn good offer. <laughs> well, it was. and and uh, But also it was kind of, um, like Rachel was saying, I probably could make more money doing other things. Uh, but this uh, kind of fits with my life right now. So it fits with me having, um, you know, young kids and, and that sort of thing. So, I mean, uh, it's a little bit, uh, well, I wouldn't say it's easier, but it's just, I, I don't, I'm not very good at that business end of things. And uh, that's something that I would like to work on. But now is not really the period of my life to work on that skill. So I'm working on other skills instead. And um, and I really like, you know, the company that I'm at and, and that sort of thing. So I think in the future, I might, you know, try uh, doing freelance again. But I really like uh, being in-house right now. So Yeah, I think I, I only ever hear good things from people who work at Booking. You know, I've sort of encountered various people uh, at different conferences and, and things. They seem to be doing good stuff. So I think if you find the right sort of thing. Uh, at the right time in your life, it's great. Yeah. What yeah. was it like walking into that office for the first time? It must have been like the first day at school. <laughs> it was. And um, similar to school, I had one of those like cliche moments where you're like, excuse me for a second. And you go into the bathroom and you go in the stall and you have a little cry. Like <laughs> that happened to me. Uh, not on my first day, but just one day. Not because anybody was mean to me or anything like that, but because... Um, 
you know, with any company, there's so many um, ingrained ways that they do things. There's company culture. There's all these people and systems and things that you need to learn and get used to working with. And it can be really overwhelming. Um, so, I mean, that's why I'm saying it's not necessarily easier than freelance. It's just you're working with different challenges. Um, so, uh, so yeah, it was, it, it, there was definitely a big learning curve at the beginning. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I feel like it is a really good company and they, they made it as easy on me as, as possible. So it, uh, so yeah, I'm not ducking into the bathroom to, uh, have my little stressed out moments anymore. (laughs) (laughs) How long did you deliberate over that decision? Oh, I, it took me like, um, I think like two months. I, (laughs) I am very indecisive when it comes to big decisions. Um, and, uh, so yeah, this was a very big decision and it took a long time to, to figure it out and, uh, talk to various family members and everything. So, um, yeah, it took a long time. Because I'm hopeless. I don't know about you, Rachel, but I'm I'm not the world's fastest or most decisive decision maker. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I I tend to fairly quickly. As long as I think if I, if I feel indecisive, it's usually because there is some issue. I tend, you know, things that I'm, I'm quite happy to make big decisions and fairly quickly, um, and I move on very very quickly once I've done that. Because you know you you were you had a successful development company, and then there must have been a point where you just decided, okay, we're going to concentrate on perch now. Yeah, I mean, there was a point where we had to kind of make the break and say we're going to do this full time, which was was difficult, um, a little bit scary. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've made I've made all sorts of huge decisions all my life. I'm just used to it, you know. I mean, when I was at I did my dance training in Newcastle, um, and as I didn't really have anywhere to live there, I was just sort of staying in a student house because my parents emigrated. And so I decided, well, all the jobs are in London. So I'm going to go to London. And I just got rid of everything I owned and got on a train and went to London with all my stuff, you know, the stuff I could carry. And that's kind of how I've sort of lived my life really is is just, you know, once I've decided that this is what I'm doing, I just go and get on with it. Um, I don't really, I don't have regrets about stuff and I don't really look back. I can remember we, I was working for somebody else and we were doing the stuff business on the side because I was working for an American company and, you know, with time differences and things like that, there was plenty of free time. So I sort of started building up the design side of it until the point where I just couldn't keep the two things side by side. Mm. You know, the web stuff was taking over and I felt like I was letting the American company down a little bit. But the idea of, of leaving behind that kind of regular salary mm. and and finally having to kind of take care of myself after years of thinking that you know thinking it was somebody else's problem when I didn't get on very well at work and then all of a sudden I realized well how you can't blame that on anyone anymore it's gonna be you (laughs) (laughs) um but that took me oh several several weeks and in fact it was Sue that said look you know we've just got to do it you know have faith what's the worst that can happen and you know you can get another job if you know if it doesn't work out and you know 16 years later I I haven't got another job yet yeah what was it about Booking.com then that made you think that it was the right decision? They must have had offers from other people in the past. Yeah, and actually at the time I had another offer from another company. And so that was one of the things that made it, uh, one of the reasons why it took me longer to decide was um, the other offer uh, kind of was more logical, made more sense on paper. Like this would be, objectively speaking, this should be the option that I should take. Um, but I just felt better about um, 
the booking.com offer. Um, a lot of it was uh, moving to Europe and the opportunities that that uh, would give my kids, for instance, um, being able to mm-hmm. go to better schools, hopefully, and to learn another language and uh, travel and all of these things. I wanted them to, you know, have those experiences and for me and my husband to have those experiences too. So a lot of it was, was that. And, um, I also, um, I mean, when I interviewed at booking, when I came over and visited, um, it seemed like a really open, friendly culture where people were, um, not driven by ego (laughs) and, uh, willing to just try new things, make mistakes. And, And that really has been the case here. Um, so I'm glad that my kind of feeling about that was, was correct. Um, so yeah, I think the, the company culture and, and those sorts of things that I kind of felt with my gut was, uh, ended up being more important to me than kind of just numbers on paper. Um, so that was kind of what I, uh, based my decision on. Have you done the traveling or have you been like typical Europeans that think, well, I'm never going to visit anything on my own doorstep? Have you been <laughs> to done, places? Yeah, I've done a little bit of traveling and we've, we've, uh, gone to Paris. We went, I had a conference in, uh, Romania and I took my family along with me to that, which was really cool. And, you know, like I, I never would have gone to Romania if I was living in the United States and, you know, yeah. uh, that never would have happened. So, um, yeah, so we've had, you know, new experiences now that already just living here one year. So it's, um, you know, again, I have the little kids, they're not great travelers, so not as much as we would like to do, but we're, we are working on it and and having fun. Have you been to Berlin yet? I have been to Berlin, um, just for a couple days. And I really liked Berlin as well. I had pretty low expectations about it because people had told me like, ah, it's just, it's just a city, you know, but, um, but I really enjoyed it. And I was able to just, uh, walk around just for a few hours, seeing stuff for free. I saw, you know, Berlin wall and the Brandenburg gate and all of these things, you know, where I was like, I'm just walking around and I'm seeing interesting things. And, and, uh, so yeah, I thought it was a good city to, to visit. I really enjoyed Berlin. I was there in November and for Beyond Telerand and it was such a lovely city. I, I really want to go back and visit. Yeah. Yeah. I think if, if I could move anywhere, if I had, you know, if I was going to move out of the UK, I would be looking at Berlin. I absolutely love the place. I'll tell you, you know, if, if anyone's, you know, sort of mentions anything that's happening there or if they've got a conference, they're like, oh yeah, I'll come. <laughs> just because I really enjoy, I just really enjoy the city. I really, really like it there. And it's like three hours, I think, on a train from Amsterdam. Yeah. Whereas you can't go anywhere. Well, I suppose you can go between Washington and New York or New York and Boston in like three hours. But, you know, traveling to a different country, it, you know, when you live in the States, it just, it, I think that's what appeals to Americans about Europe, isn't it? You can just, oh, I think I'll go to Paris this weekend. And yep. you know, off you go. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> Did the size of the company and the sort of the stability of working for a big company make that decision easier as opposed to let's say a startup because you know man I think I'm too old for a startup for one thing but if I was going to go and take a job I'd be going for a certain reason and I don't think maybe you know startup culture would be for me yeah that that does that did matter to me um yeah I'm I'm fairly 
risk-averse person, I would say, except when it comes to catching flights. I'm like really a thrill seeker when it comes to that. I try to go at the last possible second. But for the most part, (laughs) (laughs) for the most part, I'm a pretty risk-averse person. So, um, I mean, I guess you could say that moving my entire family over the ocean uh, to a new country and all that is pretty risky and it is but um but yeah the the size of the company uh and stability makes you know (laughs) negates some of that some of that risk of relocation i mean i suppose it still takes you know determination and motivation to get up and do work you know even when you're working inside a big company you know you still have to go there it's not like you know i think some people have the impression that you know well it's just kind of you know all grapes and whatever you know <laughs> it's all just kind of luxury you know you just kind of like yeah oh, you, you show up and people so we talk about you know oh well it's great because you get stability and a regular paycheck and things like that but no you bloody have to work yeah yeah definitely I mean I've worked at places before where I could see how the stability of that place would allow you to kind of coast um but I don't feel like that's really the case here um that might that might be because um, of the data-driven way that uh, we do design here. So you uh, you know you have to have <laughs> results. So you can't just kind of you can't really coast here. So um, yeah, I haven't I haven't uh, had to deal with that really. I want to feel like I have to get up every day and really really work and bring new ideas and that sort of thing. Because it's something that I've been thinking of. You know, when I'm busy concentrating on something you know i'm not the easiest person to work with and at the same time i'm kind of mindful that you know there are other people that work with me that i'm responsible for and i've got to keep them motivated and happy and and everything else is that something that booking does to keep you enthusiastic about what you're doing is there something specific that they do ah i'm trying to think of specific things um because I've never been an employer before. This is like a whole new experience. I'll say new, it's been like the last two years. But, you know, I'm still finding my feet. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> the, the, um, the A-B testing uh, thing is, is new for me. And I know that's something that, um, that you, uh, Andy, aren't a big fan of in some cases. Uh, but I was coming from another job where all of the design decisions were um, kind of made by some person higher up who was not a designer and just was basing everything on just his own personal, you know, desires and uh, nothing was ever validated with users. And it was just, uh, you know, everything was just kind of dragged out. And, and that sort of design environment was really frustrating to me. And so Booking is kind of like the exact opposite of that, where um, it's a very flat uh, structure. And um, while higher up people may have an opinion about something that they want, it's uh, if we try it, it's going to be tested. Um, and if it doesn't do well in A-B testing, then it's not going to go on the site. And so, um, so I'm finding that uh, pretty enjoyable. And it also kind of, as a designer... Um, Although that can be frustrating at times because you don't always get to uh, the the solution that you want or that you think is best doesn't always win. It can be kind of fun sometimes to kind of run these tests and and see which is going to win and and that can be kind of uh, kind of exciting at times. So sometimes it's that sort of uh, 
that sort of game of A-B testing almost that, that makes the work fun. But it also is really fascinating to see uh, what happens in these experiments. I mean, sometimes the exact opposite thing that you think is going to happen happens. And when you dig into the data, you actually can start kind of coming up with an idea, a picture of why that happened. And I feel like I've learned a lot more about um, user experience, uh, you know, through the, through the work that I've done here. Um, so I've, I this feel is a like- complete digression, but where, where have you got this impression that I'm not a big fan of the whole UX research testing thing? Well, <laughs> no, of, of, of A-B testing and, and just uh, um, driving design decisions based on data as opposed to, uh, you know, good UX principles, for instance. Uh, I have spoken about this, I know. Yes. Um, I mean, this, is, this is, I know, I'm just playing devil's advocate. This is my talk this year, which is kind of, yeah, the subtitle, which I never kind of put out there, is how user experience designers ruin the web. But, they, you know, that's just a different, we, we <laughs> disagree on that. I think, there's, I think there's something in this test, particularly in a big company, I think, and actually I was talking about this with, with Drew, because obviously Drew worked at Yahoo as a front-end developer for, for a while. Um, and we're talking about this fact that I think sometimes by testing and getting results and it sort of depoliticizes these decisions and you don't get this thing where, you know, one person can say, oh, you know, this is the way we're going to do it because I'm, you know, I'm more senior or, or I, I'm more experienced or whatever it is. You know, you get this sort of political thing where people feel that they should get the say so or if someone else pushes their idea through and it doesn't work out so well, then maybe their job's at risk. I think if you kind of go with this sort of testing, you're saying, well, anyone can have an idea and we can try it out. And if the tests don't say it's a good idea, well, that's fine. We'll move on. I I, think... I like that. I like that. fairness and with sort of balance that there is a difference between a lot of the sort of work that I do, which is much more about editorial or about sales or about Mm. communication um, and all of those things. And what I've kind of loosely termed kind of data-led design or product design. And I'm, I'm gonna, I don't want to jump ahead because I'm going to talk about this in a couple of weeks with, uh, with Dan Moll, who's been writing about art direction quite a lot recently, hmm. um, and Jeffrey Zeldman. But I think there is a difference between the type of work that I tend to do because I come from you know, an advertising background or you know, I come from that kind of background rather than the type of design where you, know, you are building a product. And with something like Booking.com, it's not about creative soul necessarily, which is something I talk about. Mm-hmm. It's can somebody find the place that they want to hire and mm-hmm. can they pay for it? Right. And, and the other thing that I, um, that makes me feel good about what I'm doing here is okay. If I was working for another e-commerce company, um, like say Amazon, I don't have a problem with Amazon. Amazon's great. I love Amazon. But if, if I was working at Amazon and our goal was to get people to buy as much stuff as possible, right? So somebody comes on the site and they intend to buy, um, you know, a pack of paper for their printer. And instead we convince them to buy a whole new printer, right? Then we're like, yay, we were successful. But at booking.com, we only sell one thing. All we sell is hotel rooms or, you know, apartment rooms, whatever. So, and everybody who comes to our site, they come because they want to book someplace, right? So there's only pretty much one task that everybody wants to complete. <laughs> and and it's also the task that we as a business want them to complete. So if they're able to complete that task more, and if therefore we have more bookings, then we feel like they've been better, they've more easily been able to complete their task. And that's good for us too. So I feel like 
um, in some organizations that this sort of um, data-driven design to just get as many, you know, whatever your KPI is, whatever metric that you're going for to get that as high as possible, I would feel kind (laughs) of icky about that in some cases. But I think in this case that 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 KPI of, you know, increasing bookings kind of correlates really well with what the user is trying to do and usability and good user experience. So I, I feel good about it personally. Uh, I don't feel like I'm, you know, uh, yeah. Don't don't get me wrong. I don't think that it's a bad thing. I actually, I find it fascinating and we're going to start some projects where, you know, it will be quite heavily tested. And I think that that's fine. I think that validating design decisions through this kind of process is yeah, fascinating. And I actually can't wait to be a bit more involved in it. But my point of view, I suppose, I don't want to rattle on about this too long, but is that it should be sort of part of the creative process or to validate part of the creative process and not the driving force behind the, you know, behind the idea. Yeah. And I do quite often get frustrated when um, it's almost as if you the design is built upon this stuff rather than we're just using the research to, you know, to validate and to let us know that we're going off in the right direction. But, you know, that's just me. And I, and I don't work for booking and, you know, or for, you know, large companies like that. So, you know, it's a different perspective. And I suppose the other thing about the talk, not that I have to kind of justify it, is <laughs> it's mainly just about what the kind of things that we talk about because I don't want to be perceived as like the grumpy guy that thinks that UX is shit, because I don't. <laughs> um, but it's just about, oh, man, you want to talk about that again? You know, really? You know, and you know, when the conversation is so much on the engineering side of design and nobody talks about typography anymore, that frustrates me. You know, it makes me sad. I agree with you. I, I, uh, I want to see more kind of pure design talks at conferences. I feel like designers are kind of... <laughs> guilted if they don't know technical stuff and you're not seen as as good as somebody who can also you know do javascript and all of these you know things i don't know that's kind of maybe that's just my own um insecurities but um i feel like tech conferences are getting more and more complex and some of that is that's really great i mean there should be a place for that too like having much more advanced topics um, and more technical topics and that sort of thing at conferences. But I would also like to see advanced, like design, pure design topics as well. I was quite surprised at reasons to be creative in London last week because there weren't many creative talks. I mean, we had Harry Roberts, who's brilliant. And I love Harry. He was on the show last time. And he was talking about theming in SAS. And there was uh, James Hall talking about security and pulling off some amazingly scary security Mm -hmm. demonstrations. Mm -hmm. But I went there expecting to talk about branding or talk about color or talk about, you know, creative stuff. And uh, and there wasn't much of that. I was surprised. uh, It seems like things are becoming so much more about tooling a lot of the time and um, and yeah, and 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 certainly on, on the sort of front end becoming an awful lot more technical uh, and I'm a developer not a designer I know nothing really about about traditional design or, or anything else um, but I do think that we're making sort of that part of the industry quite technical and perhaps impenetrable to people who are more on the design side and who don't have those kind of technical skills and who are you know the last person who will open up a terminal and work at the command line. Yeah, we've talked about this several times on the show. We touched mm. on it last week with uh, with Harry and John Snook. 
So I think that there is this kind of overall feeling. And one of the talks I like giving most, because it's not just about designers talking to designers. You know, Mm. one of the talks I like to give is my uh, damn dirty developers talk, you know, where I talk about typography and the intended audience is people that, you know, they're developers. Because, you know, people that have to implement the stuff that we make. Yeah. Um, So that kind of thing I I still think is is really valuable. Yeah, I'd like to see more collaboration as well. I mean, it's a bit, it's like this stuff I've been doing with um, CSS Grid Layout. And, you know, I can read the spec and I can work out how it's supposed to be, even the bits that haven't been implemented yet, and I can build examples. But like what I don't have, I don't have an understanding of things like, you know, proper typography and, and the grid that typographers want to be working with. And I don't have those that design background. And I've kept sort of saying to people, you know, I'd really love some help from someone who understands this stuff to explain it to me and so I can make the, the technology, I, you know, I, I can sort of make it work with with the grid layout stuff um and there seems to be this big sort of divide you know people aren't getting in, involved in emerging css stuff a lot of which is really exciting for designers you know yeah. if they were to look at it and understand it they're not getting involved with it because it seems very technical yeah one um, of the things that i really like about zoe's flexbox stuff is that i mean i've seen you talk about flexbox a couple of times now mm-hmm. and you know a lot of the things that i talk about in my css workshop because i have a whole kind of i think it's about an hour and a half or something talking about layout mm-hmm. and flexbox is a you know big part of that and you've just made some brilliant examples and they're like practical examples it's not kind of something that it's you know you can't think wait why or what how you would use flexbox for something it's like here is a really neat little navigation bar where you've got a couple of links on either side and the logo is in the middle. Mm-hmm. You know, something which is a really sweet little design challenge and you you connect the dots between the design stuff and the implementation. And I really like that. It's hard to learn those things in the abstract. It's much uh, easier and more enjoyable to provide a real, you know, yeah, practical example, something that you can use in your, in your real work um, to kind of, yeah, make the spec more understandable. I thought we weren't going to talk about CSS. <laughs> Bugger. It's impossible. It can't get away from it. was from inevitable. It. Rachel, would you, what would make the decision for you to go and work for somebody else now? I mean, would there be a particular sort of challenge or would you, get, would you want to work with a particular person? Because that's always been my thing. I think, I mean, I think if I was going to go back and, and have a job, it would probably be in sort of a CTO type role. Um, I... And that was always kind of my thinking when I worked for, you know, back in the day when I worked for sort of dot com companies, the jobs I had my eye on were, yeah, sort of CTO type jobs because I've got such a diverse skill set. Um, you know, I, I'm perfectly at home as a systems administrator uh, and I can be doing CSS and I can talk to, to people. And, and so I've kind of, I've kind of got that, that range of skills. And I think, I think really what would push me to do it would be some major life change as opposed to anything else. Um, you know, some reason why it was a sensible idea for me to go and, and be employed. I think that's probably the, that would be the main thing. I'd like to go and live in Australia if anybody's listening. There's anybody <laughs> in Perth that wants to hire a, a broken down old design director. <laughs> Here we yeah. are. Yeah, I think it's, I don't think there's anything sort of internally of me that thinks, oh, I'd like to go and get a job. Um, I, you know, I do sometimes think of the sort of roles that I might do if I, if that had to happen. Uh, but it'd be more likely that some external pressure would, or, you know, or just some, yeah, some life situation, something would, something happened that made it a better idea that I had a, an income I could rely on. Yeah. You know, week on week. Um, I think that would, that would probably be the, the driver, really. I think I've said it before, but 
despite being pretty much allergic to UX, I would really, really love to work with Aaron Walter at MailChimp sometime. Hmm. I mean, you know, he's one of my favorite people. Um, and I, I'm not too old. I would learn an enormous amount from working with Aaron. It would be fabulous. Because to me, he's the kind of person where, you know, he corrected me quite severely one day. You know, I was ranting about UX stuff one day and he said, listen, you know, maybe you don't understand exactly what we do over at MailChimp. And he took me through some things. Um, and he really does kind of cross over to me, for me anyway, between kind of UX and you know, this emotional aspect of design that, that he's mm. really known for writing about. So yeah. not that I'm going to end up in Athens, um, in Georgia anytime soon, but, you know, I would dearly love to work with Aaron, at least, you know, just on one project. You know, just on something. I think it's probably more likely that, you know, at some point I'll, you know, maybe do a bit more kind of real consultancy type stuff or, or that sort of thing. I think that's probably more of a, a possibility than than uh, going and getting a full-time job. Uh, as I say, yeah, I think it's this whole thing about becoming unemployable because you've worked for yourself for so long. <laughs> um, I, could, I could probably be quite useful in a company for about a month um, and then we'd probably get sick of each other, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I know that when Cole Henley was on the show back last year, he was talking about having a non-executive director for his company, Mud, mm. that they see once a month that kind of provides that um, level of advice, maybe that an expertise that they don't have, that Cole and his, and his partners don't necessarily have, particularly from a business point of view. Mm. And I've been thinking quite a lot about that because that is the sort of role where, you know, I would like somebody to come in and talk to me about business issues but at the same time yeah. you know maybe I could go and talk about creative things with a with yeah. another sort of business yeah. I think having an outside input is we, we're we're working with the um the growth accelerator scheme which is actually a UK government funded thing um and with that you get a business advisor and we're working with a chap uh, Matt who we go and we sit and talk to uh once a week or so and, and we're sort of you know putting together a sort of business plan and, and things just for how we're going to move forward with 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 perch and everything and it's been really useful i think maybe because you know drew and i are a husband and wife team that kind of brings another aspect in that we just go round and round in circles you know our, sort of all the time <laughs> in, in uh you know in work hours and outside of work hours just sort of you know talking about things so having that outside input someone who sees the business from the outside and just can point things out and say, well, why haven't you tried this? Why haven't you tried that? You know, is there a reason? And sometimes our reasons are when we actually say them are a bit silly. You're like, oh, we don't think people would like that. Or you're sort of like, well, there's no, that's not really a reason. Um, so that's been really interesting. So I can see how that kind of role can work really well. Yeah, I'd like that because sometimes you just need that extra perspective. Um, mm. And you need somebody sometimes to say, well, why? I mean, I was, remember talking to my friend Joe a few weeks ago and we, I, I complained in his ear about the business at some stage or another. And, and he said to me, so what have you done about X? You know, what have you done about the thing that you're telling me about? And I'm like, well, I haven't really because it's been, been so busy. And everything that fell out of my mouth just felt like an excuse. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's, that's what we've found. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, we haven't done that. And yeah. And, <laughs> you know, and I think it's it's it gives you that just just that outside. We like watching those business programs. So if you've seen them, um, uh, Alex Polizzi does the hotel inspector, I think, and oh. goes into these businesses that are struggling. She has a new one called The Fixer, which... That's it, The, the Fixer she's doing. Yes, I think she did used to do the hotel inspector. And they go in and there's these businesses and these people are there and they're saying, oh, no, we can't do that because we've always done it like this. And, you know, we're on the sofa yelling at them, you know? <laughs> I know, I love that. It means nothing to you, Zoe, 
<laughs> over there in Amsterdam or, or people in America. But yeah, there is this program. And I think that Alex Polizzi, she comes from a very well-established hotelier family. Mm. Um, I think she's part of the Forte family. So, you know, she's she knows her stuff. She's grown up in the hotel trade. And yet mm. now she goes into these businesses. I saw one a couple of weeks ago where I think it was a tea room down in... I don't know, somewhere down in South Plymouth or Portsmouth mm-hmm. or one of those kind of southern places that I never go to. And literally within like a week of her leaving, they changed everything back oh. yes. to how it was. And they changed the signage on the outside. It was the singing kettle tea room or something. I and saw that one. Yes, that one That one had us yelling at the telly. And yeah. I just <laughs> wanted to, you know, my lack of empathy was really exhibited at that point because I just wanted to hit the guy going, no, will you not listen? <laughs> yeah, but I, I, I do wonder how much... You know, we can be like that, you know, ah, me too. you know, especially, especially Drew and I, I mean, you're, you're the same, you know, when you, you run a business as, as, as a couple as well, a married couple and how much you're just, you know, you're playing off each other and you, you end up with the same point of view on things because, you know, you, you get on because you live together anyway, you know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's incredibly difficult. Um, and having those, you know, I was, I went to microconf in Europe and that was brilliant, you know, just talking to other people who run bootstrap mainly small businesses and you know people are just after hearing my talk they're like oh why haven't you tried this why haven't you tried that and you think oh this is brilliant you know <laughs> it just getting that outside input is, it's amazing i would really love to have somebody that came in you know once a month for a couple of days or something like that just to give me that extra sort of bit of i don't know adrenaline almost Mm. you know just something to kind of keep you going because I think it challenges you often and this is one of the things I think about you know maybe if you work on an in-house team because you know I've seen when I've worked with in-house teams before sometimes people just they work a lot slower or they never really seem to be into it I'm sure that doesn't happen at booking um (laughs) But, you know, it's quite easy to kind of settle into a pattern. And I know I do it. And just having somebody that says something or, you know, suggests something different and you think, oh, yeah, I should do that. But I really do, I don't want to be the person that's like on the Alex Polizzi program. It's like, no, well, we've always done it this way. Mm. And I think if you work together, I mean, it, like obviously Sue and I have worked together for a long time. So for her to say something to me about changing stuff or vice versa, you know, that it's it's quite hard, isn't it? I mean, even if you're not married, mm. then, you know, you don't want yeah. to be treading on each other's toes or hurting each other's feelings somehow. Yeah, there's there's kind of emotion tied up in that, you know? And I mean, Drew and I have fairly defined roles, but, you know, if, if he sort of points to something I'm doing or, you know, should we do this? Or I mentioned something about Perch Core, you know, oh, I think we should do that. There's always that chance that it strays into you know, is he having a go at me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you know, is it, is it, is it a bit of a dig? It, you know, and, and often it's not, of course, but you sort of, there's, there's always that. And I think that can happen just with employees as well. And people, teams that work closely together, you know, it, is that person who's getting into my territory, mm-hmm. are they actually having a go at me and saying that I'm doing something wrong about my job? Um, but yeah, when it's, when you're a couple, you don't even have the ability to go home and say, oh, you know what they said to me today? (laughs) (laughs) Do you find it easier to switch off, Zoe? Now, can you go home at like five or six o'clock or whatever time you finish and that's it? You you know, you're not thinking about work, you're just looking after the kids and, you know, you're not thinking about it again until you walk in through the door the following day. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, (laughs) I always have uh, side projects and things that I'm working on. Um, Sometimes I like curse myself, why did I choose this career? Why did I not choose to just become, I don't know what, everybody has lots of stuff they're working on. But yeah, um, but in terms of my actual booking.com work, yeah, I can um, just go home 
and uh, and not worry about it again until the next day. Um, so yeah, I like that because uh, I do have um, other things that I'm always thinking about and playing around with. But you don't run marathons. I don't. I do not. I am not a runner. <laughs> I wasn't a runner until about five years ago or something. Yeah, I uh, I do bicycle to work. I'm pretty proud of myself for that. <laughs> oh, Amsterdam's great for that. I'm very envious of all those all those cycle lanes. Well, I would really like to go over to Amsterdam again. It's been years since I've been. Um, and the last time was for a conference and I've never actually had... In fact, I don't think I've been to Amsterdam for many years where I've just been able to relax and walk around the city and not have to think about a talk that I'm giving or a <laughs> workshop that I'm working on or something like that. So, yeah. God, it's only... You know, people go over there for a, a weekend piss-up. I just ought to go. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it doesn't take long. Cheap flights. Yeah, no, I should. And uh, there's an amazing barber apparently in Rotterdam, which is just down the road, which I keep meaning to visit as well. <laughs> Does an amazing shave. <laughs> we should wrap it up. I'd like to keep things to an hour now. So um, thank you very much for that. I've really enjoyed talking. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, thanks as well. And people can follow you, Rachel, on Twitter. You are Rachel Andrew mm -hmm. and com. Obviously, just go there. You're a moron. If you haven't actually looked at Perch Runway yet, or you've been one of these people that's been like, oh, well, I haven't really had a reason to try it. So, you know, I've not really given it a go. Shut up. Stop making excuses. Just like download the copy <laughs> and use Perch Runway because it's bleeding brilliant. We should do that. <laughs> or Zoe. You know, you're, you're Zomoji. Zomiji. I say it's Zomiji. So you want to know the story behind that? Yeah, go on. Okay, so <laughs> it's, it's not a long story. It's just that my name is too... It's too long. Zoe Mickley Gillenwater. So I just took the first two letters from each of those three names and I put them together. So it's Zomichi. <laughs> so oh, all. okay. So that oh, now I get it. That's like when, <laughs> you know, somebody's starting a business with a partner and they put their initials together. Yeah. And it's like, ah, yeah, we're going to be ACDC limited. Yeah. Because <laughs> I thought mine sounded kind of cute in Japanese or something. So I went. Yeah, you know, that's what I thought it was. I thought it was some kind mm -hmm. of Tamagotchi style thing. <laughs> no, no. But... It does have meaning. It's not just random. It's it's my name in a shortened way. Keep entertaining Zoe or she'll die in your pocket. That's a really horrible <laughs> thought. I don't know why I said that. Aww. Anyway, or people could follow me at Malarkey to ask questions because you can or suggest topics for this show. You can message us on Twitter at unfinishedbz or you can email me he has at unfinished.bz.